Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the MBIT Podcast, and I'm your host, Seamus Medan. I started this podcast at 15 years old in December of 2020 to bring personal finance education to the next generation. Now, I am 16 years old, and the podcast has evolved to interviewing entrepreneurs, VCs, GPs, and founders of public companies, all of which are designed to delve into insights that have not been shared elsewhere for the next generation of those interested in business. Recently, I ventured into the VC space as a venture fellow at Blitzscaling Ventures, which is backed by the co-founder of LinkedIn, and I am interviewing those farther along in their journey to learn more on everything that I and the audience is curious about. If any of the above sounds interesting to you, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. And now, back to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Embit Podcast. I'm your host, Seamus Medan, and today, Ben Samaru, the co-founder and CEO of Wonderfy, joins the podcast to discuss how the company is working to create and democratize digital assets compliantly for the consumer. So first off, Ben, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Seamus, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. So first off, let's talk about, so prior to co-founding Wonderfy, you were the former CCO of FirstCoin Capital, a fintech company which was acquired by Galaxy Digital. And then after the acquisition, you became the chief operating officer of Galaxy Digital in Canada. And even before all of this, you were a finance lawyer for, I believe, five years. So what was that jump to being a fintech lawyer to running the operations of a company and then eventually building your own? So my background as a securities lawyer definitely got me into crypto. And the story there is my background was working at a a big law firm, helping companies raise money and go public in mostly in the oil and gas sector, because I was based in Calgary, Alberta, which is the heart and soul of oil and gas in Canada. And with that, there was a downturn in the energy industry. And so we started to see more tech companies come through as clients. And I found it super interesting because you no longer had companies with hard assets. It was people that were developing software and, and really some innovative stuff that we were seeing. And I just took a, a big interest in that and started working closely with a couple of clients. And really, it was actually those first couple of experiences that I had working with tech companies that sparked a move for me from the oil and gas center of Canada out to Vancouver. And that's that was in 2016. And that's actually the first time that I really started looking into Bitcoin. And there were a couple of community groups here and some entrepreneurs who were starting stuff early stages. And that sparked a lot of interest for me and just a lot of questions as well, because that was at the very start of the ICO boom. And so being a securities lawyer who had helped companies raise capital that was really right kind of in my wheelhouse. And so I got involved with a lot of the early entrepreneurs in, in Canada and in the States who were in the in the crypto industry. So got involved with advising on legal aspects and then also on some commercial stuff as I started to get more familiar with the industry. And yeah, it was it was a really yeah, it was it was a crazy, crazy to think that was six years ago now and just to see how the industry has evolved since then, but was a really great sort of first step in into the industry. And then after having worked with a number of the first licensed crypto companies that that had launched in, in North America, went on to co-found and be a part of FirstCoin Capital, which was an advisory firm that was working directly with startups in the space. 
And we sold to Galaxy Digital in 2018. And I was actually part of the first publicly listed crypto company globally. So it was a really interesting process to go through, which was led by Galaxy, but had to clear the securities regulators. And there was a lot of things for them to wrap their heads around in relation to crypto. And Galaxy had a a bunch of different business lines and crypto on their balance sheet, which was new for for regulators. It was new for auditors. And so it was just a, a super interesting process to to go through. So that was kind of my evolution from being a lawyer into getting really heavily involved in in the crypto industry. And I'd say that while it is seems like a pretty natural progression, it is also a very different skill set, I would say, that's that's required to be a lawyer and then to step more onto the product operations executive side. And yeah, have have found that to be definitely a completely different use of your brain to switch over to that. Yeah. And for those who might not be as entrenched in the DeFi ecosystem or is not super familiar with it, how would you describe DeFi very simply in just one sentence? And then the problem it solves, you can describe that in more than one sentence. <laughs> sure. So it's peer-to-peer banking. It would, would be how I would describe it in one sentence. And it, it obviously bridges to more things than just banking, but I think that's one of the easiest ways to to understand it and to look at it. And there's there's so many different use cases in, in DeFi, and I think we're we're still just really at the tip of the iceberg. But I think people are so entrenched with the traditional banking system and savings accounts and how lending works and and so on and so forth. There's numerous examples within DeFi where when you cut out a middleman and are able to transact peer-to-peer and take full advantage of the technology that's behind a lot of these DeFi protocols, there are significant advantages just from an efficiency standpoint and from a from an economic standpoint as well. But really, I think the big draw for DeFi and really the reason that digital assets, DeFi, crypto are, are here, period, is in relation to accessibility. And there are so, there's so many people that are underbanked in globally, even in North America and the United States that don't have proper access to banking and credit. And then when you get into other nations worldwide that just don't have stable economies or stable currencies, the value proposition for for crypto, digital assets, DeFi just grows and grows and grows. And so I think that one of the things that I find is, especially being based in North America, a lot of the conversation around crypto really is driven by investment and profit. And that's that's fine because obviously that drives in a lot of early adopters and a lot of capital and talent into the space. But really the the long-term use case and and the way that this succeeds and is beneficial to to the world is is through adoption globally and really being able to lower the barriers to entry to finance for for people and making finance more equitable and, and inclusive. Definitely. And after your executive roles in the business industry, I was talking to Siraj. He's the chief technical officer of this startup called Bubble. And one of the things he brought up during our conversation is the more time you spend in an industry, the easier it is to pick up pain points for either the customer, et cetera. So in January of 2021, you went on another mission to co-founding WonderFi, as we discussed. And then on the institutional side for DeFi, there is little infrastructure to support that market-to-market need. And there's the same issue on the consumer end. So would you mind walking through how WonderFi solves the problem and how it works for the consumer? So WonderFi is focused on retail users and definitely agree with you. The more, the longer that you're in a space, the easier it is to identify pain points. 
for us, myself and my co-founders, it was really seeing that there's so much, again, so much potential behind DeFi. It's at such an early stage, but it's so complicated to use. And that's actually something that I've felt in the crypto industry since I got involved in, in 2016 was even before decentralized or well-recognized decentralized apps and protocols were in use, the the usability of of crypto is really it's really tailored towards a, a very certain demographic, which is people that are more tech savvy, younger, and I think there tends to be this sort of insular bubble that happens and and gets created when you have a lot of people that are within the industry building products for people in the industry. And yeah. again, going back to my point earlier digital assets only matter if they're accessible to everybody. I truly believe that. And so I think what we saw at the end of 2020 and early 21, and I think it still is the case to a large extent today, is that the same issue we've seen with a lot of growth of technology where it's engineers building for engineers at an early stage. And again, that's part of the evolution. But for you to be able to get to something that's able to even come close to mass adoption, there needs to be a dumbing down of what's being offered because the the masses do not care about the same things and problems that the early adopters care about. And things really change along the way there, especially in something that's as quickly evolving as crypto and, and DeFi. Definitely. And with the multiple acquisitions in the past with companies like BitBuy, CoinBerry, and then more recently, Blockchain Foundry, how have you been taking advantage of acquisitions to further grow WonderFi? And what's your process like internally, whether you decide to acquire a company or just build it out on the WonderFi platform itself? So I, I've been a firm believer from even before when we started WonderFi that there are certain sectors within this industry or subsectors, I should say, that are really ripe for consolidation. And one of the markers for us in the North American market was even within Canada, which is a population of 50 million, there's 30, 40, 50 different crypto exchanges that were in operation and, and all competing for essentially the same customers. And when you start to see that type of saturation, there's, there's a lot of disadvantages for the companies themselves to continue standalone, but then also for, for the market, because you're there's economies of scale that can come into play, which if realized and executed properly can end up allowing companies to bring better products to market, offer better pricing and, and things like that. And so we saw that right off of the bat. And so our acquisition consolidation strategy has really been around finding these great assets that have a very significant track record in terms of transaction volume, revenue, great product and technology, and then I think that the, the really key piece comes down to the team. And I think that through consolidations like WonderFi is doing, you really are able to bring together some of the best technology and product and leadership talent that has been in the industry for many years. So we're really fortunate to be in a position where we're able to move on those types of, of deals. And yeah, and, and, and touching on your question of what we look for, I think kind of covered off a few of the, the key areas, but I'd say really the most important thing comes down to the team. I just like many of the startups that you talk to, I, who I feel would share the same view. I think execution is key and that that's no different for 
a startup that's just been founded on day one or someone that's two, three, four, or five years into the company. I think things get you can make or break things with with management and 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 how you how you execute on the vision of the company. And so we we feel that that's that, that's really a key criteria is, is the people behind behind the company. Definitely. And speaking of making or breaking things, I think one of the things that can happen, especially when uh, going out and acquiring a bunch of different multitude of companies, is there could be a culture disconnect between the companies that are trying to be acquired. So what are you doing to make sure that that culture disconnect doesn't happen and that you have smooth workflows between teams? So a lot of that happens prior to moving forward with an acquisition. Initial discussions I, we found definitely really help you suss out if there's an alignment in terms of values and mission going forward. We've definitely talked to a lot of solid businesses that don't have a desire to expand globally, for example, whereas that is really a, a cornerstone of what we're doing is we've we built a successful, compliant, regulated business within Canada, and we're looking to replicate that in, in other G20 jurisdictions. And so I think that alignment, you start to be able to suss out pretty early on through conversations. And really, that philosophy, I think, comes a lot. It really comes from the executive and management team. And then once you go through the acquisition, then it definitely is more time consuming and spending time with leaders and, and team members from all these different areas within the company. And, and I think it's just about communicating, articulating a clear vision and really getting people excited about what you're doing. I think that with, with any acquisitions and consolidation, I think there's a, a level of uncertainty that comes with within both sides. And so what we've tried to do is really be clear from the outset about where we're going, what this means for everybody, and and really just get people excited about, about the mission. Because I think we're we're super excited about the the path forward and and what what that holds for not just for Wonderfy, but I think for the indus- digital asset industry over the next two, three, five years. And yeah, I think it all really comes down to being able to communicate that clearly to everyone. For sure. And one of WonderFi's most or more well-known partnerships is with Coinbase. So you have a partnership with Coinbase. And besides acquisitions, what are some of the things that you're looking for in partnerships? And how can startups and companies in your space take advantage of partnerships to grow their business? Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate it. I think there is, there's a number. Of, we have a, a few different segments to the business, really. You, you, you touched on the, the WonderFi app, which is the DeFi non-custodial app. So there's a lot of different opportunities to partner there. And we've done so with Circle and with Polygon and, and others that are key pieces of infrastructure in, in the DeFi space. And then on the on the centralized, having two licensed crypto exchanges and broker dealers, again, opens up a lot of different opportunities. So one of our goals is really getting as many people onboarded into crypto as possible. And so We've, we've been in discussions with many different financial institutions, credit union, neobanks, anyone customer facing to see if we can make it easier for them to bring crypto in whatever way they feel comfortable with to, to their clients. And I think that having, a, having these licensed regulated platforms that have a track record is, is really important for that. I think there's some of these institutions that are in a position to onboard millions and millions of customers into, into the industry have very low risk profiles and and tolerances, I should say. And so we're we're really trying to build that up through uh, through different partnerships. And we'll be 
We'll actually be announcing a partnership with one of the big four accounting firms where we'll be facilitating access to crypto for their teams. And I think that's going to be, that's one of one of many pieces in the pipeline that I think will continue to bring confidence to people on the outside looking in or just sort of interested in getting involved in the space when you start to see bigger names like BlackRock or like, a, again, a big four coming in meaningful ways. I think it's it's super important, especially in, in light of recent events in, in the market where customer assets are getting compromised and you have some really over leveraged companies that have been taking excessive risks. It's on companies like ours to try and balance that out for for reputational reasons. Definitely. And for the last couple of questions here, with the recent crypto crash and a possible crypto winter coming up, what are you thinking about heading into the next couple of months in regards to the market as a whole and or positioning WonderFi to outlast the bubble burst? So we're we're fortunate in that all of our executive team has been through a couple of cycles in, in crypto. And so for us, nothing really changes aside from, as I'm sure you hear, we really feel that these down markets are just great times to refocus and, and build. And that's really the truth. I, I feel like that's almost become a cliche to say, but it really is because you're not focused as aggressively on growth, organic growth, at least as you might be in a, in a bull market. There's we're Going back to consolidation in down markets like this, there are great consolidation opportunities because there's companies with, with weak balance sheets that have great businesses and great teams that are looking to fold into something bigger that gives them more security going forward. So that's definitely something that we're actively pursuing. And, and then, so that doesn't really slow down the inorganic kind of acquisition style growth. And, uh, and, and I think it's just a really good time to use obviously a lot of technology companies are cutting costs and we're, we're no different, but it really just allows you to kind of refocus um, and not just around costs, but around just efficiencies in terms of how things are done within the business. So that's something that we're taking the opportunity to do. And that that's going to allow us to have the staying power to ensure that we get past far beyond the next bull market, essentially. For sure. And for the DeFi industry, what would you say are the top misconceptions for people who are either new to the industry on DeFi? Ooh, there's a lot. I feel like the knowledge level of people that are new to DeFi is 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 very low. We've been working on a lot of different educational resources to help bring people up to speed. And I think there are some some good resources out there right now. But I think that one of the biggest problems is that people that people find, and this is from interviews we do with users and potential users, is that they just get overwhelmed with information and they don't really know what to do or where to start. And so I, I think it's really the education piece is, is is super important. And I think this goes back to the point about people within crypto really speaking at a level that is just not understandable for for those people that want to get into the space and it it becomes really insular so i think there's i see some some companies out there doing that from an education perspective which is which is super important i think that's going to be such a key piece to being able to get adoption at a at a larger scale and so i guess to answer your question on the misconception side i think one of the most common things that we hear is and not just about defi but about crypto is people think they're too dumb to use it and that's, I think that's a really interesting comment because I think it speaks more to the industry than it does to the actual person, because that just means that, again, the industry is really not speaking at a level that's accessible or talking about things that the average person cares about. 
And again, if we want to get to a level of mass adoption, then it, we're really going to have to change that. Definitely. And to wrap it up here, what would you say are your takeaways for the audience? And then what's missing for crypto today? Takeaways for the audience. I, I think that for your listeners that are in the crypto industry, I would just say, keep spending the time and and be patient with people that have questions and want to get involved in the space. I think that's something that is is so valuable. And it just has this network effect of I remember the first person that introduced me to crypto and got me onboarded with several different exchanges and wallets and exchanges that are long gone by now, but and wallets for that for that matter. But I think that that type of sort of grassroots learning and knowledge is really important. I think at the end of the day, there's great resources online. And that's really important. The fact that you're dealing with a form of money, I think when there is a level of trust that's involved, people, there's a, there's a much higher rate of engagement when you're kind of getting introduced through somebody they trust. And so I think that's really key. And uh, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to in the industry to keep doing that. And then for those outside, I don't don't be too intimidated by it. Obviously, there's 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 large risks associated with with getting involved in the crypto industry in whatever way that uh, that is. And so I think it's it's always about being smart, risking what what you can afford to lose. But I think there's some there's starting to be some really great resources out there that will help to introduce people into getting involved with trading their first crypto and and just kind of getting involved and, and getting their hands dirty. For sure. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review down below. And thank you, Ben, for taking the time to join the show. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Seamus. I appreciate it. <laughs>